Good morning. Uh, Our teaching text is from James chapter 5, verses 13 to 18. It's a good one, too. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone unhappy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. This is the word of the Lord. Um, I came in on a red eye this morning from California. 4.30 a.m. landed at JFK, so if I start to be incoherent at any point, uh, I just raise your hand and I'll just stop and pray, okay? Um, Good to see see you guys. Everyone all right? Great, great. Uh, In his book, uh, Intercessory Prayer, Dutch Sheets kind of opens the whole book with the story of being asked to visit a sick stranger Uh, In a nursing home, someone from his church had called him and said, can you come over and pray for my family member? And uh, it was a relative of of a woman in his church. And that's all the information he had. He he readily admits that if he had known what he was walking into, that he would not have probably gone. He would have found some excuse. Um, When he walked into the room, he saw uh, a woman who was comatose uh, with a breathing tube down her throat and a feeding tube in her stomach. She'd been in that state for over a year. Uh, the doctors basically were just sort of a, a little bit impatiently waiting on the family to admit reality and um, pull the plug. There's nothing medically left to do. And uh, we can all imagine the agony of trying to wrestle with that decision with someone that we love. Maybe some of you have. Um, but there was no real medical reason to believe she would regain consciousness. And I'm telling this story in church, and some of you are already guessing where it's going, and that's fine. If by some miracle she did emerge out of, uh, you know, her coma, there was only hope that she would still remain in a vegetative state because of the brain damage that she had surely received. Um, So this guy, Dutch Sheets, uh, comes, and if he's starting his prayer book with this story, you know it's a good one, but he he comes once a week for a year uh, and prays, prays with this woman over and over again. And then, guess what? One day, she woke up. Now, I've sat in enough church services where you're sitting to be like, huh, that's interesting. It's always somewhere else and someone else, but that is interesting. Um, She woke up. No trace of brain damage after two years in a coma. The doctors, uh, he quoted them saying, this is a medical miracle. We have no explanation. It was written up in the city's newspaper that week that... A woman was awake. She was alive and healthy after two years in a coma. You heard stories like that. Here's another one. Uh, there was a single, uh, a single mother named Monica. She had, she had one son, and she was a devout believer. She had high hopes for her son and uh, his life of faith. Uh, she sang hymns over him. She prayed over him nightly. Uh, but as he grew up, he came to see the world quite differently than his mother. This is a, a phenomenon that you'll see happening all over the world. Pe- uh, pe- people see the world differently than their parents. Um, and this man became, uh, even in his, his er- early adolescence and then his early adulthood, he became known in their city for public drunkenness and for being a womanizer. Um, he became a professor, and he used all of his intellectual power to combat his mother's Christian faith. He loved to talk, to talk to people who were confident in their belief and sort of rattle their cage in such a way that they would come away questioning what they had held so certainly. But Monica did not give up. She kept praying for her son's salvation. Uh, when he was 19, uh, she had a dream. 
And she thought that, uh, she believed that through this dream, God was promising that her prayers were going to be answered, that this, uh, her son was indeed going to, to come to faith. So she got more intense in her prayers for her son's salvation, for, her, for him to experience God's uh, presence in his life in, in, in sort of an inbreaking way. A year passed, and then another year, and then another year, and then nine years passed. After the dream, and nothing had happened. But in the ninth year, her son was sitting alone in, in, the, in the garden on an ordinary afternoon, and he heard the voice of God speak to him. Uh, and he opened up the scriptures that he despised uh, and had a profound experience with the grace of God and surrendered uh, his life in faith to Jesus. His name was Augustine at that point, and it becomes St. Augustine. They add a first name on if you're super good at God stuff, and he was. Um, arguably the, gr- the greatest theologian uh, in, in history, helping people understand the scriptures and God's, God's place in the world, the city of God you know, compared to the city of, 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 of mankind. Uh, he's a father to the early, early Christian church, and um, when you think about his accomplishments and, and his influence in the world, then it's, I think it's really important to go back to those um, not just the nine years after the dream, but all those years that Monica prayed and saw nothing happen. <laughs> all right, one more. Ready? Uh, Myung Song, uh, Presbyterian Church in Seoul, Korea. Uh, they started a morning prayer meeting not seven years ago. We've got seven, a seven-year prayer meeting going, Dynamite. I love that you said longer than most restaurants because some of my favorite restaurants just closed this year, things that I thought were stalwarts. I thought Tall Day was definitely going to stay. And Pork Chive Dumplings, Dynamite. <laughs> um, but it's gone now. That's over. So we have something else to pray for. Um, but it, it, this uh, church, this Presbyterian church in Seoul, they started a, a morning prayer meeting 20 years ago, and there were 40 people involved, which 40 people at the prayer meeting is good. Honestly, like you have a church picnic, you get 200 people there. You have a church prayer meeting, it's like four people are there. But uh, I don't know what that says about our priorities. It probably says we're full of faith. Um, now there's, and this is at the time of the, the book was written, but now there's 12,000 people that gather in the mornings for this, for this prayer meeting in, in Seoul. And the prayer meeting had to be split into four time slots. You pick the one that you would go to, 4 a.m., 5 a.m., and 6 a.m. I'm definitely coming to the 8 um, when everyone's gone to work. But um, they had to close and lock the doors of the church right on the hour. So that means if you come at 4.01, you're going to stand outside and wait for the 5 a.m. meeting. So people bring soup and blankets, and they just plan to camp for 59 minutes while they wait to get in to do what? Pray. What are these people into? What's going on? So historically attestable instances of powerful prayer abound. You've heard the stories, but here's the thing. My guess is that for most of us, just hearing the stories are not enough to motivate us to a life of sustained prayer, like um, I confessed a little bit to you guys last week that I've, I've wondered why I've, I've lacked endurance and passion when it comes to intercessory prayer. Like, I'll pray for my own needs, quite frankly, because they're surging in my, in my consciousness. But um, I'll forget to pray for yours. I'm so sorry. And I, I want you to think, maybe just for a minute, how do you hear those stories? When, you, when I was telling just like three, and there's, there's so many more, but as you hear those stories, what, what does it do inside you? I think we should pay attention to that. What's happening in you when you hear those types of stories? Does it spark your skepticism? Yeah, some people are like, I sat with one of my very, very best skeptical friends when I was in California, a break from this conference, and we went and sat, and he was giving me all the things. He was give, telling me all the reasons. It's always somewhere else. It's always never attested to. How come nobody ever films these things? And, and, um, I'm like, man, I think if you filmed it, it'd be like, it'd be TV show magic, and then that would be a problem in itself. Anyway, well, let's not get into that. But does it spark your skepticism? Some of you it does, and that's good. Let's admit that. Some of you, does it stir your faith? I think there's probably maybe a, a percentage of you that are like, I want to experience that. I want to taste that. If that's real, I want to, I want to be a part of that. I want to, I want to, if we can have a real bearing on the tangible world, through prayer, I want to I join in that. If, I mean, if prayer is just like conversation to get to know your friend God better, and it is, that's fantastic. But if you can actually have a real bearing on the tangible reality of our world, does it stir your faith? And then I think there's a category, it makes you feel guilty. 
there's probably a number of us that's like, I want that, but I also know myself, and I'm just not gonna, I'm not gonna wait the 59 minutes. I'm leaving if I don't get into the, to the 4 a.m. prayer meeting. I want you to know, this is part, how about this for a thrilling sermon title? Intercessory Prayer, part two. <laughs> I, I want you to know, though, Trinity Grace Church Park Slope, um, that you were invited to begin experiencing more than you ever thought possible in prayer. I think God has a distinct calling on our church to begin pressing into prayer in a way uh, like we never have before. And, and I just want to take all the pressure off you in that regard and say that I think we're just going to lean in and stumble in and, and, and try to do it together. And it won't be on you to, to manufacture the endurance and the passion on your own. But I think that uh, whatever else we're supposed to do as a church, we're supposed to be praying I think it's, the, it's one of, if not the primary way, that we're supposed to join God in the renewal of all things. And honestly, at the top of my mind, at different points of our church's life, uh, intercessory prayer, praying for God to, to bring change, wasn't first. And, I, and I'm embarrassed by that on some level. It was like, we've got to have great services, and they need to be really compelling, and they need to, they need to be um, you know, engaging for someone who's a skeptical non-believer, who, you know, like, who's really successful and can't see any need for God, and we need, to, we need to have a church services that they can come in, and they wouldn't be ashamed to bring their coworkers along. And we've tried to, tried to have that, but then we also like, well, we also want to be a church that's deeply formative. And if you've known Jesus for 15 years, that we're helping you walk and be formed more and more into the image of God. And to try to walk that line, how do you be totally open and available to the skeptical non-believer and totally open and available for the process of formation for someone who's been walking with, with God for their entire life? You can't do it. <laughs> on human ability alone or strategy, and I have whiteboarded everything you possibly can in an attempt to do that. I mentioned I was in California this week. I was at a church called The Garden. Some of you will remember about six years ago, I was in London uh, for an Alpha conference and was in a ministry time where they were praying for people, and I was sitting there feeling nothing, utterly flatlining, and I was like, God, this is, I'm so frustrated with this. Everyone else is like shaking and crying, and, and things are happening, and and I, I felt this little, little whisper in my mind that said, go and ask this guy over here who was, who was talking earlier, ask him about the word sobriety. And I was standing there, and I was like, I'm not going to ask him about that at all. No, thank you. Got anything else that you'd like me to do? Let's run down. Do you have a second option? Um, anyway, I finally go over to this guy, and I, and I, and I ask him, and he just like, wells up with tears, and he's like, for the last six months, I've been on this incredible journey. I took a Nazarite vow, and I haven't been drinking any alcohol, and I feel like in, 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 in sobriety, God is inviting me to lay down the idols of our culture so that I can speak prophetically. And, I was like, uh, and he prayed for me. It was a tremendously powerful time, and then I came home, and basically a month later, forgot what he had said. Um, here's your pastor. Um, but this guy, he was hosting a, um, a conference empowering churches to walk in the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and he had some legends he brought in, um, John and Ellie Mumford, who are the global, uh, global leaders of, uh, in, the, in the vineyard movement. Um, they were there when John Wimber, if you guys are familiar with this at all, I'm going to move so, super quickly, but when John Wimber kind of brought an anointing into the Anglican church in London um, that sparked uh, a, a lot of churches that we're familiar with and friends with, and, and Alpha was kind of birthed out of this, and um, a, a lot of beautiful things, but um, they're, they're a part of that. And then two, two friends, uh, uh, Penny and Bob, who traveled with John Wimber, um, they were just talking to us about how to be ordinarily supernatural, like how to walk in, the th like we're great in the church. There's explanations and there's experience. And we are so good at explanations. And if we're not having experience, that we're really good at explaining why. Um, they're saying, listen, let's swing the pendulum a little more over here to say, look, just look at what's going on in the Gospels. Why are we not seeing these things take place? Is it because they're not real? Is it because like, God used a, a rocket booster to, to launch the early church and we don't need any of that stuff anymore? I think that's one of the worst heresies in the church today. Sorry if you're a cessationist. You're wrong. I'm happy to have coffee with you and talk to you about why. Um, but anyway, this... Uh, 
Beautiful weekend is, 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 is going on, and I just want to tell you a couple of things that, that happened. Last week, I shared a conviction with you guys. I put it on the screen that God spoke to me. He said, you've been contending with the wrong things. You've been leaning on, basically, you've been believing with your practical hope for this church in gifts, in human abilities, in vision and strategy, in rallying people around particular seasons of vision and responding to urgent needs. You've been relying on these things to build the church and I, and I want you to learn to contend in prayer. I believe this is not just a word for me personally, but it is a word for our church. I want you to contend in prayer. So I'm in California, right? You know how many states are in between here and California? Like so much space. And this guy, Joe, the first day we're there, he comes up to me. He's like, I don't know you. I'm like, I know. And he says, I want to pray for you. And then he prays almost word for word the things that I said to you guys that I was feeling convicted on. And he said, listen, I've been pressing into learning intercessory prayer for the last several years, and I wanna pray that God would give you a double portion of what I've learned and experienced in prayer, and he prays this over me, and I'm just like, what is going on? Then I get, I don't know any other to say this except that I got, this is my phrase that I put in my journal, I got blasted by the mothers. Because Ellie Mumford this like powerhouse British woman who's like, you know, like personally seen her own self healed miraculously and has just traveled literally around the world. She was talking about stories in Kathmandu where apparently like the power of the Holy Spirit is, is off the charts right now in the Himalayan mountains. And she talked about this pastor walking by and finding someone that had been left for dead in a dumpster bringing them out, praying for them, seeing their back healed and restored, and then seeing their life basically saved. And now that woman is an associate pastor of the largest vineyard church in that area. And it's just like, these are the types of stories that she's just like, they're falling off the side. Like, oh, I didn't even mean to say this. This happened. She comes and prays for me and this woman named Penny, who were, who were friends with John Wimber, and they lay hands on me. And some of you guys, I'm so tired of mentioning it, but some of you guys who've been around TGC long, you know that the last two years were like the hardest years of our life for a bunch of different reasons. And these women just like pray for me, and I don't, I'm not trying to do anything. I'm literally, the whole time I'm like, I'm not going to force anything. And I start like seizing in my stomach and crying and praying in a language I don't know, which barely ever happens to me. If that weirds you out, let's get a coffee. But these are the things that she's speaking over me as she's praying. It is a new day. You've been made ready by the Lord. The pain that you've been through is part of a preparation for what's next. And I'm like thinking, these people are like spiritual mothers, and I'm like getting the benefit and blessing of power. I think God wants to release the mothers, and not just like people who have physical kids, but spiritual mothers in our church in a powerful way in the next season. So just that's on its way. But... Um, Ellie then says the phrase that my mother said every morning when she woke me up. And I sort of like, it's not like it's a crazy out of the blue phrase and it wasn't in another language. She said, up and at him. You know this phrase? My mom used to, so annoyingly, did your mom have this ability? My mom would be like, I'm going to tear off your head and vomit down your throat. You've never seen such trouble. And then the phone rings. She's like, hello. Does your mom have that ability just to change on a dime like that? So, I, like, my mom, I would hear her being astonishingly, grump, astonishingly grumpy, and then she'd come into my room, and she'd be like, all right, Caleb, up and at him, time for the day. And I would just want to die inside. Um, but Ellie praised this, and it's just, like, so confirming in my heart that this is a spiritual mother that I have so much to learn from. And that, that voice just, just clued me in. And then she blessed my ambition, which is something that I don't feel like um, happens very often. But she just said, the things that are stirring in your heart for your church, like, I think they've been realigned. And I just want to bless that ambition to grow in prayer, to grow in these things. And it was just, um, I don't know any other way to say it. It was just so healing, so meaningful. I've talked about uh, experiencing the power of the Spirit in prayer um, from other people before. And it's like, and this is not discounting. I probably still need six months of therapy, but it's like six months of therapy in, in a three-minute prayer session. It was like so healing and so much 
lightness that, 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 that came in. And so, so now I'm like sort of feeling calmly inspired. Like, okay, I've just gotten the double portion from old Joe here, Mr. Intercessory Prayer. And now I've been blasted by the mothers. So I kind of walk around this conference now thinking like, I can do this. I can really like intercede for people in a meaningful way. And I started practicing. And at the beginning, it's like really basic. And I just walked past someone and the guy had a jean jacket on. Everyone in LA had a jean jacket on. And then he, but he had, it was cold. So he had the like white fluff around it. You know, this is very popular. And, um, and I see him and I'm like, feed my sheep is the, is the thing that comes into my mind. Feed my sheep. And I'm like, no, God, see this just because of the white around the collar. <laughs> You're not tricking me. Go a little deeper. You know, something about a wound from childhood maybe. But I go over to him and I'm like, man, I'm sorry. But listen, I think I'm supposed to say, feed my sheep to you. And I was like, and you know, that happens when Jesus has basically like gone through this uh, elaborate theater to recreate Peter's utter betrayal. So he's recreated this, this fire on the beach to, to go back to the moment where Peter betrayed Jesus on the night of his, of, of his arrest. And he, and he recreates it. And where Peter denied him three times, he asked him three times, do you love me? And then he heals, he basically like heals his heart. And then he says, feed my sheep. And I just pray for this guy. I was like, listen, what's your name? Travis? Okay. Uh, I believe God wants to let you know that you're not disqualified whatsoever and that you are called to feed his sheep. He doesn't shake. He doesn't cry. He doesn't pray in a different language. He just quietly says, yeah, I've been wrestling with whether I'm supposed to lead a house church uh, uh, with, with the garden here. And I've been feeling really like I'm just not the person for it, that I'm disqualified. I'm like, It worked. Even with the jacket thing. Amazing. So I'm humming. And this hasn't happened one time. It happens like seven or eight times. I went up to this incredible woman, Dawn, who, uh, who just like a, 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 a beautiful woman, huge, huge dreadlocks. And she's like got a, a, an incredible singing voice. And I'm literally like, I'm scared to go talk to her. I'm intimidated. But I had this sense that um, today was a burning bush moment for her. Ellie Mumford just sort of said that off the side. Today, for some of you, this is a burning bush moment. And I walked over. I laid my hands on her shoulder. And I start praying for her about a burning bush. And I was like, you felt a sense of your calling kind of like Moses. But like when Moses struck out to fulfill it on his own resources, he killed the Egyptian. And that led to him fleeing to Midian. And he lived in Midian outside of his calling for 40 years. And you've been in a wandering time like that. But today's a burning bush moment. For and she starts wailing. This is like, she's wailing and crying and worshiping. And I'm just like, I need to step back. Um, but it was so, so powerful. So powerful. Those are the, I'm not, there are others, but I'm not going to tell any more stories because we got to go. Um, so even though I took a red eye, I just feel so refreshed and so healed and um, so thankful that God is willing to keep doing that because I've told you guys stories like this before. And, and then it, it's so easy just for life to, to, to happen and then you get tripped up, but Here's what we are learning about prayer right now. The pattern of God's activity in the world, it involves participation. It involves you participating. And one of the, the, the direct way, and you're, some of you are like, oh, that's so obvious. But one of the direct ways that you're meant to participate is an intercessory prayer. It is how we join God in the renewal of all things. God is, is powerful. Hear me say this. God is powerful. He is, he, is, he is sovereign. He makes promises and he keeps those. He is in control. And yet God, in all of his sovereignty and all of his power and in controlness, has decided not to work for the most part, without involving you and I. There's something about his father heart that's like, yes, I could do it, but no, I won't. I want you involved in what I'm doing. And I'm not gonna recap last week, but it's an part one of intercessory prayer is an important sort of laying the foundation for that. I wanna give you three quick examples. In, in, our, in our passage in James 5, it says, Elijah was a human being like us, and he prayed that it wouldn't rain and it didn't rain, and then he prayed that it would rain and it did rain. And it's so easy to move past that, but I wanna give you three super quick examples examples. And I'm just taking the people who were with Jesus when he was transfigured. Because wherever you are on the theological spectrum, if you're a Christian, most of us are like, we want Jesus to be seen for who he really is. Like whatever you believe about, about, uh, about the spiritual gifts or, or, or conservative or liberal or whatever, like if, if we're Christians at all, we want to see Jesus for who he really is. And at the, at the Mount of Transfiguration, the few people that are there, Jesus' disciples, and then these figures show up, Elijah and Moses are there with Jesus. 
And we see Jesus in his majesty, in his power, in his beauty, like in all the humility that we're used to him walking around the gospels with, for a few moments, his glory breaks through. And so who was there? Elijah, for one. This famous prayer for rain that's mentioned in James 5. Here's what happened. God had promised uh, that there was gonna be a drought, and then God had promised that, there, that he was gonna bring the rain, that there was a time coming. So God had promised it, God intended to do it, God had given a timeline for it, and what God asked Elijah to do was to go and pray for it. So I want you to think about that as a model for how God works in the world. God can intend to do something, can plan to do something, can have a timeline for when he's going to do something, and yet he doesn't just do it like with God magic, he invites us to press in and participate in prayer. And it says that Elijah went to the top of the mountain and he laid down in the fetal position or in the birthing position, actually I think more, more likely, and, and for seven times he interceded that the rain would come and he sent someone to look and six times it came back and said nothing and then on the seventh time it's like, yeah, like a cloud the size of a hand has started to come. Moses Multiple times, especially in the early part of the deliverance of, of, of Israel from, from, um, from Egypt, Moses, uh, God is intending to show his power, and yet he continues to involve Moses in a specific physical way. Like I was saying last week, sometimes it just seems like theater. Like, you're going to do this. Why do I need to wave my, my stick? But it's, it's like God is intending to show you're going to intercede. You're going to mediate. You're going to be a part. You're going to represent me when you're standing in Pharaoh's courts. You're going to represent me as you stand before the people. One of the most famous examples, Israel's in battle early on after they've, they've been led out of um, Egypt against the Amalekites. And Joshua is actually the one leading the army. He's actually the one in the battle. And Moses famously is standing on the top of the mountain with his arms raised up to God and he's holding his staff. And whatever else is happening in the battle, uh, Moses gets exhausted and his arms start to lower. And so Aaron and her have to come alongside and, and hold up his arms. And somehow in that intercession, there's a connection to the victory God wants to bring in the physical, tangible world through this man outstretched hands to God. And I love that picture, right? Some of you who are longing to grow in prayer just a little bit and you're like, man, but I always get exhausted. That's okay. Get a couple friends that can hold your arms up and let's go. And then Jesus. You know, Moses and Elijah, they had these powerful object lessons. And then like Moses in particular, he becomes an intercessor for the rest of his life. He's representing God to the people and he's representing the people back to God in this beautiful, powerful way. Jesus, we come to know as our intercessor. As our intercessor. It, it, it is essential to how he relates to us. Listen to this from Hebrews 7. Now there have, now there have been many of those priests since, since death prevented them from continuing in the office, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. When Jesus intercedes for us, he's representing his own life, death, and resurrection on our behalf. So he's saying, you are forever qualified to be a full participant in the kingdom of God if you have united your life to Christ. And I'm actually not going to read as much as I was going to read of it. Um, actually, never mind, I'm going to. I'm just going to read fast. How about that? Um, but we have a powerful example of how Jesus intercedes for us in John 17. If you want to know about how God wants us to be involved, read the last things Jesus says to his closest friends, his disciples, in John 13 to 17. Do that before next week. It'll be good for you. But at the end, in John 17, Jesus' prayer, this is where our church gets its name from. He's like, share the glory that we've had in the Trinity from before the foundations of the world. Trinity, grace, church. He says this. My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even, I, even as I am not of it. He's praying for his disciples right now. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Think about that. Just like God the Father sent Jesus the Son into the world, that's how the disciples, the followers of Jesus, are sent into the world. If you want to diminish your role for a second, remember that. 
For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. This is some theology in his prayer here. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you've loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know you, know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. When you do the work of intercession, representing someone to God, you are being like Jesus. This is the essence of the Christian life, is to be with Jesus and to become like Jesus and to do the things Jesus did. And you can know, you can be utterly confident when you are interceding, you are doing the things Jesus did. He is our perpetual intercessor. And this is what he intercedes for. Just a quick list. Protection, that they would be protected. I don't ask that you take them out of trouble. I ask that you stay with them in the middle of it. Wholeness, maturity, and change, that's a way of saying, I want them to be sanctified. I want them to become fully the people that they were always meant to be. Fruitfulness, that their life would bear the things that, that, that it's meant to bear in character, in relationships, in, in, in creativity, in, in, in work. I want them to know they have a full share in, in, in our life a full share, that they're not reduced at all, that they're as invited in as the son is invited in. This is what he's interceding. I want them to be unified, <laughs> right? Some small theological difference, and then let's set, do, set up two different churches. Like That cuts against the intercession of Jesus. <laughs> I pray they would be unified. I pray they would know the intimacy that we've shared from the foundations of the world they would have. So that's just a couple of things that you can intercede for people that you love. There's a list. And you can be exactly like Jesus in praying for those things. So, just to say, hopefully as clearly as possible, how does intercession work? We pray, we join in with what God is doing in the world, and because he's invited us, we have a direct bearing in seeing God's power expressed in tangible situations. We are praying to see our hearts and attitudes adjusted, yes, but we are also praying to see the world actually changed and changed in small specific ways in someone's life and in, in this system of our city in in all, in all in all manner of things I, i'm going to give you two quick scriptural pictures of how this works it's the river and the bowls and i was trying i was talking to a, a guy who was uh sort of skeptical when we were in california not the same um skeptical guy a different there's two skeptical guys in california i was talking to the second one um and uh, was, was, uh, was talking about how metaphor is used in the scriptures and how, like, uh, Paul's especially famous for this. Like, he'll give you, like, 14 metaphors in, like, two paragraphs. And so it's not like, let's take every one of these metaphors out and try to wring them for all that they're worth. It's saying, listen, the reality we're talking about transcends language. <laughs> like, Trinity somehow transcends just humanity the, the, the imagery of the power of the kingdom of God breaking in is beyond description on some level. So that, let me give you 14 metaphors for how it works. And I'm just going to give you two, so be grateful. The river and the bowls. And I want you to think about the power of this. On the last and greatest day of the feast, this is John 7. Jesus stood and in a loud voice he said, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, this is you, church, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Now, our NIV doesn't help us as much as it could, but rivers of water flowing from within is like literally the Greek is flowing from the belly or flowing from the womb, 
that, that, that somehow those who become followers of Jesus, the church is going to become like the womb of God in the world and the things that are of the life of God are going to be birthed out of these people like rivers of living water are flowing out of them into the world. So God is saying, I so entrust you because of my redemption that I'm putting my very spirit and life in you and out of you like a spring is gonna come rivers of living water. This is how much you have a share in what's happening from your innermost, from your very belly. Now, Revelation 22, this is a picture of the very end, the last picture of, of and so much metaphor swirling around, but the last picture of the last city the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city on each side of the rivers to the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit in every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Now what I wanna point out is the phrase river of the water of life is the exact same, passage, is the exact same phrase that is described as flowing out of the believer. The river that is in heaven, like that heals the nations and that flows from the lamb and is that a part of the final prophetic picture of God's healing to the world. That very same thing is deposited in those who believe in Jesus and are filled with his spirit. If you wanna diminish your role in the world, I want you to think about that for just a little bit. Your power of intercession is to release this river into the world to bring real substantial change. Church, this is what we're invited into. That's the river, the bowls. There's this offhanded thing that's mentioned in Revelation 5. I'm not even gonna read the long passages for this. But in Revelation 5, it's this picture of the throne in heaven and it says, oh, and there are these golden bowls which are filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So somehow, maybe this is metaphor, maybe there really are golden bowls somewhere in wherever heaven is. We are always like, it's up there, but it's actually just like another place. Um, and... And it says that your prayers, when, when you're pouring out that life of the Spirit in intercessory prayer, or, or, or you're praying for someone, that, that, that it's collected in golden bowls. And why? One, I think it's interesting that none of your prayers, however casual and dropping off your lips, are not lost. They're collected. Two, some of them are being collected for a purpose, and there's a time when, even though you've, you, you felt like giving up on this thing, that those, those prayers are gonna be answered in a significant way. Because in Revelation chapter eight, there's another powerful metaphor picture that says that, the, that God says it's time for something to happen on the earth. And he says, go and get the bowls, take fire from the altar, put it on the bowls and pour it out. So that there's a collection of prayers of the people of God that's at work in heaven. And God says, okay, now we have enough. I hope this isn't messing with your theology too much, but like, it wasn't just that you asked one time, but you kept knocking. The Jesus is teaching his disciples, and he's like, with shameless audacity, like a friend coming in the middle of the night, and everyone's asleep, and there's no reason why you would get up. With shameless audacity, you keep knocking on that door, and they're collected in these golden bowls, and then the fire and presence of God is, is joined with it. So it's not just our prayers. It's also God's power, and it is poured out, and this person's life has changed, and this city is healed, and, and, and this... And this uh, uh, release of generosity breaks forth and, and, and begins to, to spark creative efforts of redemption all over, all over a particular part in the world. You and I, you, you're given the river of living water because of, of who Jesus is and the Holy Spirit is in you and, and then your prayers are collected in these bowls in heaven and so I'll ask you the question I asked last week. If everything that you prayed this week was poured out in, uh, in golden bowl answers to prayer, what would happen in the world? What would happen in your family? What would happen in your heart? What would happen at your workplace? What would happen in the systemic issues of racism and injustice in our city? What would happen? Here's something that I never really thought about. Until I got into this, into this study this, for this series is over and over again, there seems to be measurements of power 
Like, why are prayers not answered? I think that is a very, comp- there's, it's complicated. Why are prayers not answered? It is complicated. But I think one of the reasons, one of many of the reasons is, is there's powerful resistance in the world, if you didn't know, to the kingdom of God. Internal resistance, systemic re- resistance, and spiritual resistance. It's, a- it's out there. And if you're trying to flow with rivers of living water, it's not like a neutral space. It's highly contested, so that's one thing. But another is there are measurements of power. And even Jesus, right, these things that we skim over was like, and he couldn't do a miracle in Capernaum because the faith was low there. What? He's Jesus. He's gonna resurrect from the dead. <laughs> like, he's healing people with a word. People are touching his clothes and getting healed. Elijah pl- prayed three times for the widow's son to be raised. She prayed, he prayed seven times for the rain. Jesus would heal people with a simple word, but sometimes he'd pray for someone that was blind and they wouldn't get all the way well. He sends his disciples out to pray for people and sometimes they're they're saying, in the name of Jesus, be delivered and people are being utterly freed from things that have held them for years and then sometimes they run into people and they pray for them and nothing happens and like, Jesus, get over here, this one's not working. And he comes in and he's like, yeah, this this has to come out by prayer and fasting And and he speaks. And so all that I mean by that is that there are measurements of power, <laughs> measurements of faith, measurements of, of belief, and then measurements maybe even of like, okay, there's this, like, God's on board, God intends to do it, but like at the fifth time of prayer, it's not, we're not there yet. Like, there is whatever, we're not talking in metaphor about being contested, we're saying like, there's not enough power here yet to release what you're asking for at prayer five, but at prayer seven, we're there. That's a mystery, I get it, but that seems to be what's taught over and over in the scriptures. Daniel is in Babylon, and he's saying, I need help, I need breakthrough, and it says that God answered his prayer right away, but whatever the spiritual force that's bringing his answer, it takes 21 days for him to get there because he's contested. Now, if you're the skeptical non-believer that I mentioned earlier, you are weirded out right now, and that is fine. We're trying as a church to learn about prayer, so right in the middle of it. We pray to apply the power of God to real situations through relationship, through love. We pray to release the power of God in the context of relationship and through love. So, yeah, I see that. I see that hand. We're closing now. Slowly. What do we intercede for? Anything that you find in the ministry of Jesus, as as one beginning list. Anything that you find in the ministry of Jesus, you can intercede for someone and know that you're on solid ground. Jesus at the beginning of his, his ministry, right? And it kind of, it's astonishing. You see, he basically gives the same thing in increments. One person, 12 people, 72 people, 120 people, 3,000 people, the ends of the earth. That's how the, pro- the progress goes. But each time, he's giving them this ministry. And he says this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, a recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Any one of those things. The good news would go forth. The poor would be taken care of. Free, freedom for, for the prisoners. Recovery of sight for the blind. Freedom for the oppressed. To, to declare God's favor on someone. Take up those things as the morsels of intercession in your life. Use them. You can also use Jesus' list from John 17 for protection. You can intercede for protection. You can intercede for what is one word in Jesus' prayer, sanctify, but for our purposes it means maturity, wholeness, deep spiritual change, fruitfulness, a full share in God's life, unity, intimacy. You can pray for the things you see in Jesus' ministry. The second thing is you can pray for the things that we see in the New Testament that are attached to the description, the kingdom of God. Like Elijah, I hope this isn't too graphic for you, you can see things birthed in prayer through intercession, the fruit of the spirit in someone's life, right? Justice taking hold and the things we've been talking about. You can pray the ministry of Jesus. You can pray the things of the kingdom of God. You can pray for salvation. That someone who's far from God would come to know his embrace and love and acceptance and mercy 
adoption into the family, salvation, that they would be also filled with the Spirit. One of my favorite stories, I've told you about my buddy Rob uh, in Dublin many, many times, a dear, dear friend. I was over there because his, his brother Graham had passed a couple of weeks ago before the year turned. And we were walking along and he was telling me about his mom when she was sick with cancer. And uh, she knew that her time was coming and she had this, this uh, spiritual leader, this pastor come over and they locked themselves in a room for, uh, for, the entire, for like 24 hours. And she said that they waged war of intercession for every one of Rob's siblings. There's five of them and none of them were on board with faith. None of them were believers at the time, but for 24 hours, just the week before she died, his mother interceded for them. I texted him this morning. I was like, how many of you guys were believers before this this prayer session? He's like, none of us. And every single one of them over the course of the next decade came to faith in Christ. They were brought into the family of God by trusting and believing in the gospel. I, I can't stand some of the stuff Christ, like Christian bookstores come up with, um, you know, bracelets and all the t-shirts and things, but there's one that I saw, which is push, you know this, pray until something happens. I'm sorry that I did that, but the rest of this has been fine, okay? <laughs> some of us were like, I prayed twice already. I'm moving on. No, you pray until something happens. You push, you push, you push. Let's make bracelets. This is fantastic. Pray until something happens. Pray until you see, you see, like stay until the miracle happens. Like stay until the thing begins. Here's an ecosystem that I'm seeing develop in my own life. And this is, this is not in a systemic the, uh, theology book or anything, but let's put this up there. Just the next slide. All right, now I want to tell you, I made these arrows myself, so. Um, but here's how I've I, I begun to see this taking place in me. As I have an encounter with God, right? God is always previous. He always begins. He's always in, in charge, and he comes and he shows mercy. And what often happens is, in the revelation of God's presence, I realize there's things in me that need to be realigned. And it's not, it's not like, it's not like, something massive. It's not like, oh, again, there's a heroin addiction or a pornography addiction or I've been embezzling from my company or whatever. Like we sometimes think of repentance as like coming only at the big moments of change, but this is like an attitude adjustment. I've been really selfish towards my wife for this one half week, right? So I have an encounter with God and that leads to repentance. And then I begin in my repentance, I'm praying for myself, right? Praying for my change, praying for my, my, my things. And then I start to pray for someone else. Like, I finally can get off me for a second and start interceding. I start saying, God, would you, would you close the gap here in this person's life? I, 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 and, and what that invites is us to have a share in the ministry of Jesus, the things that Jesus came to do. We're participating in this happening, right? Even if we're alone in our room, in this happening in someone's life. Then we go out, and when you see, this is what happened to me in California. This is what has happened to me a few times. When you see God answering specifically your intercessory prayers and the ministry of Jesus is happening, what it does is a sense of authority, humble authority, the type of authority that Adam and Eve were originally intended to carry, the dominion, to share in the rule of God, begins to grow in us, and that leads us back to a powerful encounter with God, right? It's not like so clearly linear, but this is an ecosystem that I've been seeing take place in my life and I want to invite us into. That's enough. Here, here's my prayer for, um, my three prayers as I was uh, flying last night were, um, that if you've been in our church for a long time and you've been interceding, like I think you, you guys, Steph and Barb and Andrew and um, Brian and those of you who, who like man pre-service, man and woman pre-service prayer, um, when there's four people, you know, but like not just like last week, but like for four years of weeks of it being four people, <laughs> my prayer has been that the intercessors in our church that are already here would get wind in their sails and they would realize, okay, it's, it's worth it to keep pressing on. The second prayer is that the, some of you who think that this is all a little bit too much, that you would have a doubt-shrinking or doubt-smashing encounter with the presence of God, and you would start trying to pray for things. And the last is that each of us, no matter if you're on this one end of the spectrum over here or way over here, that each of us, I think all of us can do this. 
is to pick three things between now and Ash Wednesday, which is in March, the first part of March. Just pick three things. We're not all going to be Barb and Steph right away, but you can pick three things to intercede for between now and Ash Wednesday. What if you wrote them in a journal? What if you wrote them in soap on your mirror? What if you put them on your fridge? What if you put a little reminder on your phone and you said, from now until Ash Wednesday, these three things. I'm gonna pray for my mother. I'm gonna pray for this part of my company. And I, I'm, I'm gonna pray for, for this issue in our city. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray like, and, and just write down as specific as you can. I'm asking God to pour the river of life through my prayers and to actually affect this situation. I think every one of you, can pick three things. Every one of us can pick three things and intercede for them between now and Ash Wednesday. So deep encouragement for you if you're already an intercessor. For the rest of us, I want to pray that even right now in these next moments, God would give you a sense of hope and his presence that you can begin, that you can stumble forward into a life of prayer, and that all of us can pick three things and pray for. So what we're going to do is I'm going to pray, and then we're, we're going to begin worshiping, and we're going to come to the communion table. And, and here's the three ways we're going to respond, right? You can come up, like everyone's going to go to the communion table. Everyone's going to be moving forward. Some of you can stop here at these beautiful Ikea rugs and kneel before God and just and recognize, right, there's importance in our posture sometimes. There's importance in taking a step of obedience. And we can just kneel and say, God, I adore you. I want to experience your presence and, and just pr- pray here. And then we'll have people that are kind of moving through and available to pray for you. So you can come and kneel, you can come and pray with someone, or you can pray where you are, and you can write down the three things that you're gonna intercede for between now and Ash Wednesday. Some of you, like, it would be so easy just to join one of these prayer groups that was mentioned before, before the sermon. Just jump in with one of those for, 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 the next, for the next month and just see what that does in your life. So, we normally take a little break <laughs> And then I come back up and we set up communion, but I'm just going to set it up right now. Um, not that it you know, necessarily needs um, much more words than we've already said, but this meal represents the broken body and shed blood of Jesus, his life and death and resurrection as welcoming us in. So it's a meal for those who are united to Christ. <laughs> but no matter where you are, we're coming, we're coming forward to respond in prayer. So if you're going to the table to receive this, and then we're going to just pray. <laughs> We're going to pray as God leads us. So when I say amen in just a moment, everyone's going to stand. We're going to make our way to the table. Many of you are going to fill this space and kneel and pray and make your commitments to God. Some of you, you need to pray for other people. We're going to be asking that God would minister so specifically to you. And we're going to recognize that we are are joining in with God and the renewal that he brings. Heavenly Father, Teach us to pray. Teach us to join in with what you're doing in the world in faith. God, before you, I pray that you would deeply encourage the intercessors who are here. I pray that you would give the rest of us an encounter with your presence that would shrink our doubt. Help us to stumble forward. I pray that you would Give us discernment and direction about what to pray for over this next season of our life. I thank you for this meal, for the way of the gospel opening us up to be family with you forever. May we be nourished by it and encouraged to to come boldly before your throne in our time of need. We ask for these things expectant in the name of Jesus. Amen.